Welcome to the Kiffer Chance podcast, where our experts discuss pressing issues and trends faced by the business world today. Ursula von der Leyen, who's going to be the next president of the European Commission, unveiled her team this week. While we knew almost all the names in advance, what we didn't know was who was going to be responsible for which portfolio or how the new commission was going to be structured. So this commission is going to be made up of 27 commissioners, uh, one for each member state, minus the UK, because the UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has announced that he would not be nominating a commissioner, because as we know, his intention is to leave as planned on the 31st of October 2019, the day before this new commission takes office. So a team of 27, uh, 26 commissioners plus one president. I'm sitting in our Paris office with my colleague Michel Petit. Uh, Michel is the former head of the European Commission's legal service and now off council at Clifford Chance, a role you've had for 10 years now, Michel. But you spent a total of 27 years in the European Commission and you worked in various DGs and directly for three commission presidents. So really, you know all about the inner workings of the Commission. And very kindly today, you've agreed to share some insights with us. My name is Gail Orton, and I'm head of EU public policy here at Clifford Chance. But today I get the easy role of asking the questions. So, Michel, the information is still relatively new, and I know you haven't had a huge amount of time to digest it. But first of all, what are your overall impressions of this lineup? Well, difficult to say. There are common features in any commission, but also differences, and uh, they sometimes reveal themselves over time. What is clear from the outset, I would say, is that all commissioners seem to have really first-class pro-European credentials. It's going to be an extremely homogeneously pro-European college, which was not supposed to be necessarily the case, considering some member states. Mm -hmm. In fact, we see that in practice, nothing ominous happens in that respect. Second, and that has been obviously very much publicized, the success of gender balance. That is new. There was progress in the past over time, but now we are there and with a a woman president, and that's great. Now, this is the obvious. The less obvious is that the commission always will work as a college. It's a collegial body, but there are now eight vice presidents, which means that some of the work and probably the most important work within the college will be decentralized through smaller groups, smaller clusters of commissioners by broader policy. This was already the orientation taken by the Juncker Commission. So we see that it has been viewed as working and working well, which I think was the case, much to the surprise of many at the time, I remember. So this is being reconducted. And that is probably the only efficient way for a large commission of 27 commissioners to work. And the other new feature this time, and new, is that there are three executive vice presidents. And this is a new feature uh, to a certain extent. We'll come back to that. Probably it leads to the view that possibly this commission will work through a hardcore of so-called heavyweight, mm-hmm. which will be at the sort of forefront of all major decisions taken and uh, who will so, take with themselves other commissioners, basically, but work as a hardcore maybe a possibility for this commission. As the old Delors commission in the very long ago, Jacques Delors was working with a few heavyweights within the commission and uh, other commissioners were supposed to follow. 
Yeah, and the the choice of the executive vice presidents reflects as well the European parliamentary elections earlier this year. So they, the three commissioners selected come from the three biggest parties that won the most votes in the elections. So you've got the EPP represented by Valdis Dombrovskis. They won 182 votes in the European Parliament. Franz Timmermans returning for a second term, representing the Socialists and Democrats with 153 votes. And then Margarete Vestager, the Danish Competition Commissioner, again returning for a second mandate, representing Renew, the Liberal Group, who did very well for them in the elections with 108 MEPs. And it also reflects, I think, the political nature of Ursula von der Leyen's appointment herself, that she had to really get support from the three groups in order to pass her own hearing in the European Parliament back in July. So they've been brought into the fold in the in the shape of three executive vice presidents. And the new feature there, Michel, is that these executive vice presidents, different to the other five vice presidents, is that they will also be responsible for a directorate general, a DG. So they won't just have a kind of coordinating and supervisory role, but they'll also have a DG under their responsibility. And what do you think the significance of that is? Well, as you just said, I think from a political point of view, it certainly is a tribute to the European Parliament election results and a tribute to the fact that the Commission remains under the scrutiny of the European Parliament. And and it is a sort of relevant thing to do to have a Commission as a result of the European Parliament's election. That is certainly part of the philosophical idea underlying the treaty present. Now, what does this mean in practice? Well, we certainly will see more in the future, but intuitively, I get the impression that the idea has been to put key sectors of expected initiatives from the Commission in the safest possible pairs of hands. Indeed, you have the environment in the hands of Timmermans, competition with Vestager, uh, financial regulation with Dombrovskis. These sectors are viewed as central and certainly will remain central in the coming commission. The idea probably is to use these sort of hardcore sectors and portfolios of these vice presidents into which they will have to devote most of their time to bridges with other sectors, with other neighboring sectors, as a kind of spin-off from their portfolio towards neighboring portfolios, leading to a broader policy in the relevant sectors. It seems a, a good idea, probably an efficient idea, because these vice presidents will not only have a sort of uh, reviewing and supervising and uh, coordinating role, but will also have an active and probably the most active role at the center of these broad policies. So that I think this is the idea. An impact of this is that at first sight, one gets the impression that within this commission, portfolios are or differ very widely in importance and in workload. So in a way, this remains to be seen, but we that is the sort of immediate impression you get from reading the, the letters to the commissioners. Yeah, and some of the strange job titles that people have been handed. But let's take, Michel, let's take a closer look at one of the executive vice presidents. I know we discussed before the appointments were announced whether there were a lot of rumours that Margarita Vestager wanted to stay on in the portfolio of competition commissioner. But when we discussed it, it was clear that this was highly unlikely because it had never happened before. But she was considered a heavyweight of the Juncker Commission and she was even rumoured to be up for the top post of commission president when that decision was being taken. And as I already mentioned, 
and the Liberals did very well in the European Parliament elections. So what do you think happened that this, um, that we've ended up with a competition commissioner returning for a second time? Well, this is, as you say, unprecedented, unprecedented. The role used to be considered too powerful, too sensitive to be given to the same individual for two mandates. However, formidable the persons in charge. I mean, we've seen Peter Sutherland, Mario Monti, Lily Cruz in that portfolio, and yet none of them were was reconducted in the same portfolio for that reason, that it was a sensitive one and, and, and a place from where to move on after the five years, basically. So I think, well, Mrs. Vestager obviously had uh, formulated the wish to carry on, and she could see from the place she was sitting in how powerful this portfolio can be. She probably sensed that from this sort of base, she could project her even sort of more formidably with the sort of neighboring portfolio of the digital sort of broader policy. In that respect, I mean, competition commissioner is really a full-time job. So she will need to add to it, in fact, chairing a group of commissioner responsible for the digital single market. It seems quite a a workload, but of course, the key to it, that is that she will necessarily delegate to the other commissioners in charge of the other sectors. But she will keep a sort of uh, coordination role and make sure that it all goes on and and, uh, is projected by the commission as a strong priority policy. There is a risk, in a way, that the risk of a potential suspicion that by extending the function of competition commissioner to neighboring policies, you push, some would say, a little further the suspicion that competition policy can be used in a sort of broader way and possibly, some would say, in a, with political views, which is something which has been sort of recurrently expressed. This is a risk, and uh, Mrs. Vestager will have to be careful in the gearing of her sort of port- core portfolio of competition, not to be suspected of using competition in other sectors for other means than proper competition, free and fair. So picking up on the um, political point you've raised there, Michel, I mean, there has been a push from France, Germany and a number of other countries to review the EU's approach to competition rules, in particular in light of the blocking of the Alstom-Siemens merger. What do you think Ms. Vestager's reappointment means for the future of competition policy and for that push from those member states in particular? I think I would easily take a rather sort of a blasé position on this because I, I've seen it happening recurrently roughly every decade, uh, usually at the initiative of France, that competition policy should be reorientated and um, sort of uh, used more in a sort of European champion way, in a policy in, with an industrial policy mind. This has been recurrent. It has always, however forceful it was pushed, ultimately been diverted by the Commission and sort of drowned into a sort of broader issues of indeed a review of the policy, but really sort of uh, ending to very marginal changes. I think nothing much very different will happen. 
The paper put forward by France, Germany and others will certainly be studied, uh, will be examined, will be concluded on, and I wouldn't say will be forgotten, but will sort of entail quite expectable considerations on the need to control uh, better inward investments from, from some countries, which do not necessarily respect all the WTO rules at present. And that is probably, I would expect, where it will end up. And the competition discipline will carry on as usual. So business as usual under... Ms. Vestager. Let's take a look at one of the commissioners that Ms. Vestager is going to have to rely on and is going to have to work very closely with, which is Sylvie Goulard, who's the French nominee. And looking at the structure of this commission, it looks as if she has three DGs reporting into her, Michel. Yes. Yeah. Sylvie Goulard, um, I know well. She worked with me at, in the Prodi cabinet where I was, when I was head of, the, of Romano Prodi. She has a huge portfolio. It looks like three DGs, but in a way, defense industry and space is a kind of spin-off of uh, DG growth, which was becoming too big anyway. But the fact that she sort of combines DG Grow and DG Connect for digital world, in my view, is very significant. This is good news, in my view. For one strange reason, which is that in the recent years, I had always had the feeling that the digital policy in the Commission was conducted separately from the internal market policy and from the internal market principles. The internal market principles are very well known, very well established, free circulation. And I had always the impression that the Commission was a little bit too late and too short in the digital policy to have uh, geo-blockings banned internal market usual rules respected in the digital world. I know, of course, the, the, the issues are very different, but the principles must be the same. And I think the idea of putting together internal market and digital is very significant. And um, I think it will mean probably in the short term reinforcing the scrutiny of the digital applications and really look more closely to all the segmentations which they have succeeded in uh, establishing in, in spite and, and f which fly in the face, really, of the internal market usual rules. So I think this is good news. And it will be interesting to see, Michel, how Europe's new digital policies play out with the US, which actually picks up on this idea that Ursula von der Leyen referred to several times in her press conference on Tuesday about this being a geopolitical commission. How do you interpret that? What do you think that means? Well, a geopolitical commission, of course, there, there is a sort of a immediate sort of narrow reaction. It means that there is a good balance between all the regions of the European Union, and that is indeed essential. I don't think at all that uh, Mrs. von der Leyen meant. I think she meant a geopolitical commission as the expression of a Europe which would take its place as one of the heavyweights in this world, alongside with the United States and China, that is a geopolitical commission, which will sort of gear the European Union as one of the heavyweights actors in this world. And in a way, it's, as a result, it's interesting to see that the sort of external-oriented commissioners are indeed, or appear to be, strong commissioners, 
Hogan is now taking trade. Mr. Borrell is a very experienced diplomat and uh, an ex-president of the European Parliament. And he'll be doing external affairs. He's the, the he high will, representative. Exactly. He will be doing external affairs. So I think this is uh, indeed the expression of what uh, the European Commission should be in the world that we live into. And it leads also into this sort of uh, need expressed by many uh, member states of a Europe which sort of also protects its values on the in the world sort of uh, landscape. So let's talk a little bit about the trade portfolio. So the Irish Commissioner Phil Hogan was granted his wish. I mean, he made no secret of the fact that he wanted to move from agriculture, which he did for the last five years, to the position of trade commissioner. What do you think his appointment means for the trade agenda? Did you say he was promoted from agriculture to, to trade? I, I'm not- I may have. May have slipped have, out. Well, technically, it is not a promotion. And uh, of course, the agriculture portfolio remains a very huge portfolio uh, in the European Union, including from a budgetary point of view. And also the agriculture portfolio, as you just mentioned, has a sort of uh, angle into any trade agreement and usually on, on the toughest chapters of the trade agreement. So Uh, Mr. Hogan will be a very experienced commissioner for trade. He has seen through the implementation of the deal with Canada, the negotiation with Japan, Mexico, Mercosur, uh, for food, for agri-products. And uh, so he certainly will be very, very experienced. He seems to have been pretty outspoken with regard to the U.S. and uh, how to react to U.S. sometimes... uh, unexpected or not really a sort of well-balanced reactions. It will be interesting to see what happens with the EU-US negotiations. He will also, of course, probably, uh, I would not be sort of uh, affirmative for this, but at least he will probably take a good part of the responsibility of any future free trade agreement negotiations with the United Kingdom when UK has left. So, I think uh, there again, he will certainly be at the center of very pivotal position of the European Commission in the coming years. So for our, in particular, our listeners in the UK, Michel, what do you think will be his approach with the UK, if indeed he's the person who's responsible for managing the negotiations in the next stage of the Brexit process? Well, his position, I think, will be constrained by mandates from the European Council, And those mandates themselves will certainly be constrained by the main principles governing the European Union. So one has never to, should never forget that, that the EU position regarding the UK has all along been mainly mechanical in response to the red lines expressed by UK on one side and the sort of mechanical consequences relating to the treaty obligation of the EU. So I think he cannot depart very much from that, but certainly as an Irishman, he will have a sort of much more intimate knowledge of the relationship and the sort of non-said relationship with the UK, which I think is probably going to be very useful. His choice, of course, also demonstrates that Ireland is a member state and remains a member state. And as such, with a real strong voice within the European Union, this is probably the best 
possible demonstration of it all. And it suggests that, uh, of course, the relationship between UK and EU will be one of the priorities of the years to come. I mean, this is going to be an essential issue for the whole of the European Union. By the way, Mr. Hogan will have as Director General of DG Trade, Sabine Vaillant, who was conspicuously the deputy of Michel Barnier in the first negotiation with UK on the withdrawal agreement. So no conversation about the EU is complete, really, Michel, these days, without talking a little bit more about Brexit. What else do we know? It came up at um, President von der Leyen's press conference. What did we learn? Well, I suppose Brexit is not the real subject here. But in relation with the new commission, what can we say? Uh, Mrs. von der Leyen said at a press conference that if the UK did ask and was granted an extension to the Article 50 process after the 31st of October, UK will need to appoint or to suggest, rather, the name for a commissioner. And I think that's right. Technically, that's right. A commission is only legally in place with one representative, not representative, with one national of each member state. And UK would have to, to do so after the deadline. But, and I think not to do so with the sort of perverse view that as a result, you would obstruct the commission from being sort of legally established, I think would not make sense. It would be a sort of hostile move. It would be in full breach of the principle of loyal cooperation between member states. Mm. And uh, in many ways, it would also be vain because if that was to take place, for just for example, the European Council could uh, decide that uh, there is a new number of commissioners, 27, that is possible out of the existing system out of Lisbon. So I think that it is the case that if the UK stays beyond, they will have to suggest a name for a commissioner. Yeah, and I mean, this is a, a detail, but it does happen sometimes that the current commission is asked to stay on in a caretaker capacity because there are problems with the appointments of the new commission. For example, they don't pass the European Parliament hearings. In that case, does the same apply? I mean, you could just, Julian King could just stay on in a caretaker capacity and, you know, beyond the 31st of October, nothing would change. There wouldn't, the UK wouldn't have nominated a new commissioner. The previous one would just stay on. I mean, sometimes it's been delayed as, as late as February of the following year. Yeah, that, that's true. It has happened in the past, but not for a single commissioner to carry on, for, the, for a whole commission oh, no, no, no. to carry on as a caretaker. So in that scenario, it would have to be the Juncker Commission to yeah. carry on over a temporary period until the new commission is uh, legally established. It could happen. It is one of the possible outcomes, but... Uh, I doubt. I mean, unless there are problems with the uh, hearings in the in the parliament, which can delay yeah. things, we've, we've seen that in the past. I think well, everything should flow normally. I don't expect much difficulty on that side. Yeah. So maybe just to finish on that note, the next stage, of course, is that these twenty-six commissioners need to go before hearings in the relevant committees for their portfolios in the European Parliament. Uh, quite a grueling process. They have to submit written answers to questions in advance, and then they appear before the committee. It's all filmed. Uh, you can follow the discussions. It tends to be quite political events as well. MEPs from opposing parties asking the 
tough questions. And as Michelle has already said, it's not unusual for one or two commissioners to have to be replaced by a different candidate from their member state. Uh, that's happened a few times. We have, as I mentioned, seen commissions not able to take office until February of the following year. Uh, that didn't happen last time. There was a change last time. There was at least one commissioner last time. But they normally can stick more or less to the timetable, which at the moment would mean the new team taking office on the 1st of November. Uh, so the process starts on the 30th of September of these hearings. And by the end of October, it's, um, it's due to all be wrapped up, which of course coincides with uh, the deadline for the UK uh, leaving the EU. Thanks very much, Michel. That's been fascinating to get your insights into this new commission and um, drawing on your experience of the institution. Thank you to everybody for listening to this Clifford Chance podcast. Please feel free to get in touch. Our contact details are available on the Clifford Chance website. Uh, this is the Clifford Chance podcast. Please do subscribe to our podcast by visiting cliffordchance.com and you can follow us on LinkedIn. Until next time.